0: everybody, welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. As you know, we have wrapped season four. We um hopefully you had a chance to listen to the book club that Brian and Kate McMahon and I did on emotional inheritance. Um, it was a good read, a hard read, and a worthwhile read. And so I know in um series past, like episodes past or past seasons, I have done little, clips in the summer. And this is going to be another one of those summers. And I'm so excited that S. Swihart. Did I say that right? I don't ever say your last name, so I don't get to practice. Swihart. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. I'm so excited that S. is going to join me. And I think we're thinking about a four to five, five to six part series. We're open and going to see how it goes. And I'm going to let S. introduce herself in a minute, but just to situate the listeners. So S. and I, had the wonderful luck and pleasure of meeting while I was still at Johns Hopkins and S is a doctoral student. And we did some coaching together and I will speak for myself. I feel like what was once a teaching relationship has become a friendship. And so I'm very excited that we have stayed in contact even after, um, my departure from Hopkins. And as you'll hear in a minute, S's research is around self-worth and so in addition to other many other topics that we love to explore we have this in common and and given that this is a podcast about belonging and that we're getting ready to do an entire season on belonging to self i had said to S and in her own research like wouldn't it be cool if we recorded some of these conversations we've been having and bring them to the listeners and so this really is in in true tell me this form going to be a conversation And S and I, I think, are big believers in practice and experimenting and just showing up and see what emerges. And so we're asking you for some grace (laughs) as we sort of feel our way through. So we know generally, S, that we're going to do maybe one or two episodes to give everybody sort of a primer on some of these things. And then we're hoping Um, for the other three to four episodes to invite uh, guests on to talk about this thing called self-worth. So I'd love for you to share maybe just a little bit of background, like where you are, what you do, and maybe just, I don't know, maybe a little bit of the story. I know you love stories. So like what's part of the story that brought you to want to explore and do formal doctoral level research on self-worth?
1: Well, thank you. Um, I'm a teacher. Uh, I've been a teacher for like uh, 18 years now, so a long time. Um, and I didn't mean to be a teacher. I <laughs> happened into it because I had a terrible bartending job. And then I fell in love with it pretty quickly. And it was sort of like marrying a poor artist. You know, like I'm gonna <laughs> but the heart wants what it wants. Um mm-hmm. and but pretty early on, I had to confront my own stories about career, what I thought I would do, what I was doing then, and then also the way the world tends to view teachers, which is a really fascinating sort of tension, right? We're sort of, uh, Mm -hmm. for most of my, the first part of my career, I got a a head tilt and, oh, God bless you. Um, And then the next, this next chapter of my career has been more
0: politicized
1: as Mm -hmm. things have gone on. So it's been an interesting... As you're in
0: Florida, we should let people know we're in different places. So Florida is, is tough for teachers, to say the least.
1: It is tough for teachers. And so that's been an interesting journey navigating story and how that reflects on one's own sense of value, right? If uh, self-worth is how one values the the self or or the self-worth would really be the idea that one is inherently of value. That became part of the journey and then helping young people along the way um, as they sort of navigate external narratives about who they should and shouldn't be. And I, I would watch that tension and how it how it would impact their approach to study, how it would impact their approach to engagement. Um, and over time, I just um, really started with an exploration of relationship. Um, relationship in the classroom was always sort of my jam, and that was my my main focus for many years. And then over time, as I kind of dug into that, that aspect of building, health, fostering and building healthy relationships with young people and how that could help motivate them, underneath everything, what I, kind of came to believe is that self-worth is the it's the linchpin it's the thing that is not talked about enough in education um often because it's abstract and it's hard to tack down really hard to get data on (laughs) and um we like data in education and um and and it was just a really important thing to kind of study so that was I was really looking for a program that dealt with um that had a neuro ed aspect because Mm -hmm. I think that Self worth is tied to our regulation, and regulation is tied to our, you know, our ability to perform in various moments, um, or that had some type of, you know, mind element. And so Hopkins offered that. I had been looking for years at doctoral programs, but mm. that was one that I found available at Hopkins, and so that's what made me want to take that next step into doctoral work.
0: Yeah, I love that. I have to say, I was sort of joking a little bit about, or laughing a little bit about the bartender, but part of me wonders and believes that each thing that we do in our lives prepares us for another experience. And I mean, obviously it's very different being a bartender and teacher. And yet I think about the executive functioning skills needed to be a bartender, you know, multiple things, just being disrupted, being able to stay focused, talking to different people, being able to shift gears to somebody who's like, rowdy and crazy and, and excitable and to someone who's maybe lower key. And so anyway, it's interesting. I wonder if bartending, perhaps some of your skills in bartending paid off in teaching. I don't know.
1: I love that. But that idea of how to manage a number of stakeholders, right? All at the same time. And I mean, You have to be on your feet. Every day is a little bit different.
0: Yeah. I mean, literally and figuratively, like balancing. It's a balancing act in bartending as is teaching, right? Both with like glasses and drink orders. And so anyway, it was just kind of interesting to think about how our past experiences do sort of inform and can help contribute to who we are in our next place. So kind of fun. I love that. I love that idea too, that I think, again, when we think about narratives,
1: right, we would have a certain narrative of a bartender Mm -hmm. versus a teacher versus a leader, but a number of those skills are what leaders need, right? So there could be some amazing leaders that are bartending right now.
0: hundred (laughs) percent. I, I, I absolutely believe that in my core, that that's, that, and I think we're going to, it's such a nice segue actually, to what we're going to get into but like these societal labels and the hierarchy that we create prevents us from seeing that right that we automatically think about leader teacher bartender each of those conjures up probably a place and a space and a person right and 100% so, I think yeah.
1: that's the funny i mean when i was uh when i started teaching one of my favorite stories to tell people on that point was I was my second year, I think I was 23. And I had um, a sophomore, Cecily, who was just, she was one of those, she was my honors class. I'm an English teacher. So we were doing 1984. And she was one of those sophomores that just was really, really smart academically and really socially adept as well.
0: Mm.
1: And she was really enthusiastic after this, you know, great conversation we were having on 1984. And she came up afterwards and wanted to keep talking. And then at the very end of it, her eyes got really big in that way that all teachers want to see a student. Um, yeah. <laughs> pardon me, that keeps beeping. I've got to move that. No um, but her eyes got really big in that way that all teachers, you know, they want to see that aha moment. Mm-hmm. She looked at me and she gasped and she said, do you know what, Miss Swihart? And I said, what, Cecily? And she said, you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> and I started to laugh, yeah. and then she she said, "No, I mean you are. You're smart," and and I was really amused. And I was like, "I appreciate your assessment of me, Cecily." And then she touched my arm really gently and kindly, Aww. and said, "No, just God, you really could have done something with your life." Oh, <laughs> but those are what yeah. those where you think about. Wow what are the stories that we have around this profession and how do we even you know dear legislators
0: yeah well (laughs) and that and you know i mean i think this is partly why you and i have been having these really interesting and wild long conversations about these topics right is that there's just so many pieces to this puzzle right and so i think there are lots of pieces all of the things that we're talking about here are complicated. I am not anywhere close to being an expert on any of the things that I talk about. I just love listening and learning and being a part of the conversation. And I so what usually grounds me in any conversation sort of about these things as is definitions. And we've, Brianne and I, as we've sort of developed the podcast, just feel strongly that like when we bring in these words, we want everyone to have access to these ideas and the way to sort of, even if you disagree with our definition, at least you have an understanding of where we are grounded in how we understand this word. So then we can dis- we can have a conversation about why we disagree, right? So could you give me and the listeners a sense of when you use that word, that, that sort of two, that hyphenated word, self-worth, what does that mean to you?
1: I think that's a really important distinction. And it is, it is probably used in various ways, um, Mm -hmm. academically, um, socially, but I, I think at the heart, uh, the, the most concise I can do is that it is the, it's an individual's belief in their own inherent value. And that can be, um, you know, I think the goal would be total, right? That in all areas of our life, we are of value and a value, you know, would be is worthy of love, inherently worthy, right? That's the word worth. Um, that there's nothing wrong with us. Um, those would be kind of ways that I would try to ex- to explain it or contextualize it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that, um, it, it get it you know, it can get confused very frequently with self-esteem. Self-esteem is often more about um, that we view our the way we view ourselves because you get a good self-esteem or not good self-esteem, right? High self-esteem, low self-esteem. The way we view ourselves in relation to external qualifiers, okay? How well we do at you know our career or how you know our self-esteem and our relationships. I think I. I mean, I believe that. That you cannot talk about self-esteem without self-worth. Um, that self-worth is sort of the thing that sits underneath one's self-esteem. I think that probably gets debated by other yeah, people. But sure. but that's the way it makes sense to me, is that um self self-worth is really internal. And so despite any externals, despite what the world tells you you should do or you should be, you are, you know that you're of value and that you're worthwhile Mm. regardless of how you're fitting into those externals.
0: Yeah. So is, so when I heard you say self-esteem, I immediately thought of the idea of the comparison game. Does that feel like what you mean? So it's sort of how we're measuring ourselves against and then fill in the blank. Is that how you're understanding self-esteem?
1: I think that's a good, I think that's a great way to think about it. Um, I think self-esteem is probably more about, it is more about that comparison and about mm-hmm. those. I think that's a great way. I, I like the word measure there. I feel like when we're talking about self-worth, as soon as we are doing any type of a comparison game, we are potentially n- not in alignment with our own self-worth. Or yeah. we have. It's hard because I don't want to talk about, you know, you don't. With, it's it's hard to talk about um the areas in our lives where we need to think about worth issues that we might have and not make that um not pathologize it or make it a negative thing because mm-hmm. everybody's there and it's okay and there's sort of a paradox in that right mm-hmm. um so it's not like bad everybody's yeah. gonna have those areas
0: yeah
1: but I would say if we're doing a comparison game right if we're worried about our self-esteem in one area we're probably mm-hmm. not necessarily in our worth
0: yeah yes so this is where again not an expert just a curious learner um i shared with you in the spring that i took a class on identity development and as a parent um one of the scary and exciting things i sort of i think i knew but like until i saw it in writing and heard the professor talk about it i was like whoa so i'm like standing on this cliff which is This idea that I have this beautiful privilege of contributing to, in my case, three little humans, you know, and adulting them, right? Really developing adults. And I also have the great privilege of creating problems for them <laughs> right i mean that's really the reality when you have five humans in a house orbiting each other developing and even as an adult i'm still developing and learning and changing and so i bring that up to say as for me the complicating factor of the self esteem piece and the self worth which i kn- which i know you understand is that identity development tells us from the day we're born that we are looking to someone else to help us, i to help us develop our identity, and the cues that we get in our environment and from people help to build that. So, in other words, you're not born. What my understanding of the the, the literature, and I'm sure there are people who disagree. My understanding is that while there is a little bit of evidence that babies do understand that they exist, because in the way they do, you're not born with a gene that says. I'm worth, I'm inherently worthwhile. So like, what what do I do with that? Like complicating factor, right? That like self-worth is inherent and self-worth is built somewhat externally or our interpretation of the external, maybe.
1: That's a beautiful distinction. And I that's why, I mean, for me, um, the role, the role that educators play, right? Looking at self worth and education is mm-hmm. so vital because you're cueing to young people all the time. You're giving, you're cueing to them your beliefs about them, which they then, if internalized, that will right affect their self concept, their self worth. Yeah. Uh, and definitely, as parents, right, we're the first ones. <laughs> also, I think our culture does it. Like, there's so many, yeah. right? You know, I mean, you can do work your hardest with a kid, and you know, depending on what they get from their peers or their culture, it's yeah it's hard to to navigate. So I would I think that that for me I'm a big fan of um attachment theory uh-huh. in terms of making sense of of some of that um, that building of self-concept where from that, you know, in an attachment theory, the idea that when that child is born, when a baby's born, they need to self-express. And in that self-expression, they cue immediately that attachment because they have to have that attachment to survive. Mm-hmm. So I think what we do with that is, as caregivers and parents is recognize that when we're imposing our own stuff and our external beliefs, and often we're doing it very lovingly, right? With kids, because we want them, we we have a strategy that worked for us, right? Like I got all A's in school, so I want my kid to get all A's in school because I I want them to be successful because I love them, right? But that's our stuff. So by way of an example, but when we ask um, a baby or a young person through our attempt to train them into a behavior, to self-express differently than they naturally do the story that's communicated right and the behavior that's modified is that the way you are is not correct yeah. and that's where i think we go off track mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's that uh and i've shared this with you before i know i have um my favorite and i'm gonna botch it so <laughs> don't okay. take it the- but my favorite joseph campbell quote Asterisk, I'm gonna botch the quote, but it's something like um he would talk about in the hero's journey how we all have our own hero's journey that we have to we have to embark upon. And at some point we get to that innermost cave and we all have to face our dragon. And when we get there, it's huge and it's covered with scales. And if you get close enough on every single scale, you can see the words engraved, either thou shall or thou shalt not. Mm. And that to me is right. Like our dragon is who we are in alignment versus with who we're told we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that is where the word. I, so, yeah. So as, as a parent, and I mean, I, and you know, we think we're going to mess up our kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but we have so much, and there's so much opportunity to to correct or to apologize or to show them how to navigate conflict. I mean, that's also healthy, but that attempt to say that, there's nothing wrong with you, right, is the sentence. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. The way you are is just right. And how to do that, I mean, that's that's a beautiful, it's easy for me to say that. And then I also am raising a 10-year-old daughter that I have to have her survive the world. So sometimes yes. yeah. we're having a concept or a conversation about how to hold on to that inherent sense of self-concept and self-worth and how to also be in a society that might not accept all of yeah. the, you know, how to balance. Yeah, that's...
0: It's a lot, right? It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what I'm hearing you say and um, is being open, being honest, being humble, being transparent as much as as kid appropriate, because I think the reality is I'm even hesitant. I said it too. I'm even hesitant to say mess up our kids, right? Because I think in some ways it's okay for them to have that disruption because like we know as teachers that the disruption, the disorienting, can lead to a new growth edge and and a birth of something, right, or or a transformation of something. So I think just being mindful of sort of high quality mess ups and not damaging mess ups, I think, is something um, I hadn't really thought about till you till you said that. I love where we're going with this conversation for for lots of reasons. One is it's kind of illuminating for me the connection between belonging and self-worth. I think there are multiple connections and I know we'll get into belonging to self in a second and I'll share a quote that I'll also botch, but I love this quote. Um, Before I get there, when I was listening to you talk, this idea of, you know, being seen and just letting your kids, your partner, your friends know that, that they're good enough, that's belonging. That like setting, like I can't, make you belong. I can't tell you to perceive belonging in a certain way. What I can do is I can show up in a way and Brianne and I are deep in coding our, our qualitative data right now. What we're talking about is like the conditions of belonging, right? So like does the space and place emotion need to feel like to invite a high sense of belonging, Right. And so what you just described is what we are seeing in our data, communicating, being clear, giving feedback and trusting that the feedback that creating a relationship of trust where the feedback is worthwhile and high quality and for your good, not for penalty. And so it's just interesting to hear you say those things. And so it's almost like to live in our self-worth and explore these questions of self-worth and self-esteem, we must also facilitate spaces of belonging.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I, yeah. think that's, I think that the more a young person has that early on, the greater they're going to have that, they're going to be able to establish that sense of self. Mm. And, and I feel like it continues in paradox, right? Because the more you get that the more you can create that yeah the work that we all do to try to to create that space for others and for and for ourselves as we get older because we have to keep doing the work right especially as parents as educators you don't stop um that is able to i think that that i mean that is the linchpin right Is being able to it is a feedback loop in certain ways right and it's and because I, i and you just i mean in a way we're animals right we're that's why the Skinnerian behavior modification, you know, quote, worked to some degree. Mm. But it also, but to what consequence, right? I mean, yeah. that's the idea, right? And and so, I, I mean, the sense that, and I love that you brought up, too, the idea of feedback is important because sometimes I think if, like, if I talk about self-worth, there's a Oh, that's just woo-woo, love everybody, hippie stuff. And but the truth is that part of that, because it's it's really me reflecting how I believe and how I see somebody else too, right? So I'm looking at my students in the room or I'm looking at my daughter. There there are boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. And there, there is support, and then there is also a holding them to a high expectation, right? Yeah. Because I know they can. And that high expectation, that feedback is also communicating hey you're you're worth it you can do this like you can you can make a better choice you can hit you can grow into this marker you can struggle a little bit here to hit this end result it's not letting people off the hook just so they feel good right yeah,
0: absolutely yeah it's- i mean i mean i think and we'll get into it maybe in this or a later episode is eventually what we'll talk about that the only way this really works and it isn't woo woo is because i think you need boundaries, you need accountability, you need feedback, like all the things that people want or think are associated with, I don't know, outcomes driven work or like a market sort of approach to things. All of that still has to show up when you're talking about important topics like self-worth. And so, you know, Brene Brown, I mean, one of the quotes I always remember her saying is clear is kind. So she talks about the importance, like, yes, we have to give feedback. Yes, you have to hold me accountable. Yes, there are boundaries. I'm not just going to dump out my life story in the first meeting where we we see each other, right? Like, that just doesn't happen. So before we get into that, because I would love to dig into that a little bit, I just want to back up. So just want to back up a little bit for the listeners and especially newer listeners, because I know that some people out there will say, well, Yeah. So Yes. Self-worth. We we get what you're saying. Why is it important? Like, both from like a humaning standpoint, but also from the context where we both work, which is like education, because you're right. So many people say this is just woo woo. I mean, I'm on the school committee in our town. And if we're not focused on the traditional academic achievement 24-7, we get criticized. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about like, what's the research? If we could geek out just for a sliver, like, what's the research say about self worth and its importance to, for example, educating our kids? Um, that's a beautiful
1: question. So, see if I can make it concise. <laughs> but the um...
0: if you can't, that's okay. We'll just we'll go wherever <laughs> we go. <laughs>
1: Well, I would say just first of all, I mean, um, and I'll, I can talk about it in terms of the research and just my own experience with doing the research and kind of trying to mm-hmm. pull it out into the world is that I think that, um, well, I'll start with my journey and then I will I'll, I'll yeah. awesome. I came, I came to self-worth as the thing I wanted to study because, um, I was really obsessed from a young age with the idea of authenticity, the idea that I could show up in certain places, and this is probably connected to belonging, and I could feel like I could be all of myself, right? I could have every part of myself available and access to it, and I could bring it out into a space. But in other spaces, I was felt like physically incapable of doing that. Like my throat would close up. My, we talked about this in coaching. But yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember
1: um, and this, you know, and this persisted and I spent many years thinking I could will myself into authenticity. Mm. And at some point, you know, I know Brene Brown talks about vulnerability, right? And the importance of vulnerability and how do you, how, but where are spaces in which I can feel vulnerable versus not feeling vulnerable? I was trying to find my way into authenticity. And at a certain point, um, I couldn't find anything underneath authentic expression as sort of the most important thing so I kept trying to push for that and then somewhere along the way um, I found this concept of self-worth and I kind of started researching it and I thought this is it this is what underpins authenticity and so I haven't found anything else that underpins self-worth for for me it's the it is the the thing at the very base that we have to have to find our way into authenticity, right? I would say if you're in an authentic space, if you're able to be fully authentic, that is an area in your life you have found self-worth. So for me, it was um where I can't show up authentically would be my cue to, oh, there's a self-worth thing I need to look at in that mm. area. And then from there, I started thinking about this with, you know, I would see it with my students, you know, where would they what were the stories they were, the self stories they were telling, et cetera. So when I went, um, part of wanting to research it at the doctoral level is to bring legitimacy through research to something that too often I feel like is woo-woo, especially when you talk about education, which just has to be academic. And what I found is that self-worth is actually, I thought I was going to go into the literature and there was going to be nothing. And that's <laughs> not true. Um, as you and I have talked about this before, yeah. all concepts have been <laughs> well-researched. Um, we just don't always talk about them at the K through 12 level. Um and so what the what, what I found in the research was that um, as I organized research was that I think self-worth is almost like a super factor if it's not its own. If that anything that I could look at, whether it was student engagement, um, if it was a uh, student teacher relationship, you know, anything, self-worth was in some way informed by those areas or it was impacted by it. Mm.
0: So.
1: I would say with that, that self-worth is, um, it is the place that we work from when we, when we go out into the world and we form relationships, we make meaning, we make brave choices. um, We engage. It's the center point. Um, I think about, I, I, I love, I've, you know, I've loved for years um, growth mindset. That's been such a popular thing that we've talked about in education but what I've watched in so many educational contexts is we'll talk about growth mindset and kids can use the term like, I've got to have a growth mindset. But if you look at Dweck's work, belief is a part of growth mindset, right? It's not, you can't just have it. You can't be like, oh, I'm going to have a growth mindset. Yeah. You have to address the belief and the belief is what's connected, right? To that belief in self, the belief that I can or the belief that I can't.
0: Yeah.
1: So If we don't talk about belief You know, really what I'll see is I'll see growth mindset make kids feel bad sometimes because they'll be like, I don't know. Why can't I have a growth mindset in this area? I know I need to have a growth mindset, but we're not we're not helping them interrogate the story that underpins why they don't think they can. We're just telling them think you can. Yeah, that's Mm. challenging.
0: So, yeah. Oh, my God. I just took like a thousand notes, I feel (laughs) like. So I'm trying to decide where to go. Um, (laughs) well, I love, I mean, this whole notion, so, you know, in research again, for listeners and just to get right with language, like in research, when you're interested in exploring a concept, you talk about a construct, this concept or idea, and then you do what's called operationalizing that construct. So you try to, to find something in the real world, whether it's through qualitative quantitative or both that you're able to measure it in a way that it feels like it's valid which means you're measuring what you intended to measure right so so what i what i find really interesting is it feels like again i'm not a i'm not a i'm definitely not like a scientist like biologist but it almost feels like self worth is like whatever the like building block of human is at like that molecular level, but like the equivalent of, I don't know what it would be, our emotions or something. It's self-worth, like under everything, what I'm hearing you say. So I was trying, I I need to, after this podcast, I'm going to be sitting with that for a while. Um, but it makes me wonder as, and I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I do think there are folks like us out there who have been asking for so long and maybe not I didn't have the language then, but it's like anytime I would hear K to 12 teachers having to do a PD or I would have to do some sort of training for something, I would ask my and and it's come up a lot around the DEI work and I promise I'm getting somewhere is like well how are we getting in our own way? Right? Like Because, like your your example of the growth mindset, in my humble opinion, could be applied to culturally responsive pedagogy. Could be applied to um, safe space training that you do around LGBTQIA plus community. That, like, you can do the thing, and and put the sticker on your door, but if you still believe that XYZ people don't have any inherent worth, all the training in the world on that thing, whether it's growth mindset or otherwise, isn't gonna do you anything. And so what I'm getting at is it just made me feel like the work you and I are trying to do together around reflection and noticing and naming, like that's where it's at, honestly. Um, And I have to get in because I love her and I know I've shared this like Maya Angelou has known all along that belonging everywhere and nowhere, belonging everywhere and belonging nowhere, belonging to self. I mean, I don't know, mic drop for Maya Angelou right there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I didn't understand that quote for the longest time. It was so hard for me to understand, but like every time I have a conversation about self-worth or belonging, it's just like, I don't know. I didn't have a question there. I just like, no, that was, but that's it.
1: And I yeah. do and we're in the reflective practice, and we've talked about this many times, if, if, the if getting to self-worth is the, and maybe there's something beneath it, you know, I, but as far as I can tell, right, if 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 that's at least one of the goals is to get to self worth and uh, address what might need to be addressed there, which we all have work to do in that area, right? None of us, none of us have those experiences through culture and childhood and schooling and everything else where we don't internalize messages about ourselves that we feel a sense of lack in. Um, we can't do that work without reflection. I think there is some, sometimes there can be some healing that can happen if you happen to find your way into circumstances in which, you know, you get an onslaught of positive messaging, right? Like that's maybe you get into a community of belonging, and then that helps you grow certain or heal certain areas that had had not been um, fully actualized or in their worth. But I think that's harder and slower, I think, and rarer if you but that that role of reflection a it puts you in community with somebody if you're doing it with them right doing that puts you in a sense you know helps you have established that sense of belonging and acceptance but man that's how you speed up the healing and it's hard work right it's Mm. hardest but
0: But that's what we're here for right I mean it's a it it's the process and the journey and the the life I think it's interesting the only thing I thought of, and I don't think it's a um a smaller building block. I think it's worth just mentioning, you know, in the psychology literature, they talk about basic building blocks like being your self-image and your self self-image is the culmination or combination of all the identities that you that you name, right? but i I don't I don't know that that's the self-worth piece is just sort of how are you? experiencing that so how are you experiencing what you're seeing right so i think they're they're intertwined there i had i did have a question but that i'm curious i don't i'm sure you and i have talked about it maybe not as explicitly as as this will be you've you've said a couple of times like being in your self-worth and not being in your self-worth right and sort of and and i and you and i have talked about this and i've been working with a coach lately who does a lot more sort of um body work, like somatic responses and really being in relationship with your body, not just your, the brain that's inside your skull. And so I want to know either from the literature or your own experiences and expertise, when you're in your self-worth, what does it feel like?
1: Ooh, um, I would... I, that might be different for everyone i know for me yeah. personally um and we did this one with coaching right we can that we'd ask me that word where i felt the most grounded or connected mm-hmm. i mean depending on where you want to move if that's for some people it might be connected to a higher self or a higher mm-hmm. sense of self or something spiritual um maybe for other people it's just that sense of full um easy empowerment. So for me, I, that my word for that was the sage, right? Like if I could mm. check in with the sage, she was always like, it's fine. You're, good. You're okay. <laughs> you know? It, um, so it, and that to me and the body always feels easeful. Um, mm. uh, my partner and I, we use the term open palm versus closed palm. It comes from mm. a, um, Oh, I'm dropping the name. Uh, it comes from a, eastern philosopher who said who talks about love and he says that um love is an open palm if you have mm-hmm. a closed fist there's no love you just have a closed fist mm-hmm. and we talk about that a lot in terms of um we'll, we, we, when we dissect Well, what is that what's the clo- what makes us close our fist well it's fear right it's the need to control and where does the need to control come from it comes from fear um that all to me is linked with not a place that's not where, where there's where i'm not in my worth in my worth feels like an open palm it feels easeful it feels without anxiety like my nervous system is aligned and regulated and i feel grounded mm. um and I love that open palm. able to access yeah my full sense of knowing mm.
0: so so i remember talking about the sage because we came back to her several times like I mean, this is probably an entire podcast episode, but I'm curious, like, how did you as someone humaning in this world and having ups and downs like everybody does? Like, and this is going to sound I know, you know, I'm not even going to say I'm just going to ask the question. Like, how did you meet this sage?
1: Oh, um, you know, I think that there were um m- moments where I. I think I would have described that as moments I felt authentic versus not authentic when I was younger. I did my background. Um, you know, how does one become a bartender? They get um a bachelor of fine arts in acting. So um <laughs> <laughs> the, and then my English, my second in English, you know, I'm, there's my path. But um, so I think that um, I would really try to access that, play with that, this idea of authenticity in performance too, right? Performance mm. spaces, which is inherently vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and so I would key into that um, through different characters, right? I could pull that mm-hmm. out more easily. Um, I definitely, I think... Um, I was always much more able to find my sage working with other people than working with myself. Right. Um, she pops in a lot if I'm in any type of supportive role, <laughs> um, she's really able to, to, and so, and that, that was very grounding. Right. So I think I took on the, that role, you know, teaching and friendships partnerships as a caregiver, because I could access that. And that's what felt so good for so long. Um And then, you know, I think I also had a, in undergrad, I had, I had a somewhere between what I was doing with the theater stuff and just where I was at in my life. I probably had, and it might have like the closest I had been to probably a depression or something just where I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't fit in with the world. I was just, couldn't get out of a funk. And I'm a big crier. So I hadn't cried in like four months. I, I process everything through crying. Ted Lasso doesn't matter which version, right? All of it. Like I cry, you know, Honda commercials doesn't matter. And so um, I hadn't been able to cry in months and that's kind of what clued me in. And so I talked with a a therapist as at university of Florida, I went into their, you know, their free services for students. She recommended women who run with the wolves,
0: Mm. which is
1: um, yeah. By Clarissa Pinkola says, and that, I mean, that book, I've given that book away more times than I can count. And I think that that was probably, that's probably where it helped me name that more was because I could feel it while I was reading that and it helped kind of break open whatever was going on. And I knew if I just, it was the first time I knew that I didn't like the way I was feeling. And if I just could work enough at it, I could crack that open and I could, come into something more aligned and authentic. And I didn't want to feel the way I was feeling anymore. So that was the first book, right? That probably started a really reflective process that continued on. It was a very lengthy answer because I had to find it.
0: <laughs> no, I love that. No, I, I, it makes total sense. And I'm going to say that I, I think this might be a good place to pause because I'm afraid if I ask you another question... I mean we could I we could go on for we could do like a marathon podcast. I, I I'm I'm sure we could. The reason I want to stop here is because I think what we could do is we could leave our listeners with a few thoughts. And so here are my two notions, and then I would love for you to tweak or add um as you feel necessary. So what I what came to mind for me, S, was um this idea that if, if our listeners, if everyone in the world is lucky enough, and I hope this is true, to have at least one sliver or aspect of their lives where they feel like you do when you were acting or being a character on stage, like feeling like they're in their self-worth, right? One sliver. What I would love for folks to do is think about what it is about that sliver that makes them feel like they're in their self-worth and just sit with that this week. Like if, if you're a writer, like think of a moment where you're in your self-worth in that moment and write about it. What's it look like? What's it feel like? Where do you feel it in your body? What are you doing? Who's there? What's the setting look like? Are you in the woods, at the beach, in your house, in your room, in your bed, watching a TV show? What is that space? Because even if you're not ready to do reflection, you can do that. And you can take a strengths-based approach and believe that there is some place in my life where I feel in my self-worth, flow, grounded, whatever word. And maybe just unpack that i don't know what do you think
1: i think that's a beautiful place to start i'm gonna start doing that myself now every day because it feels like that would feel good every day
0: yeah well i truth be told that's i've learned that from coaching others and being coached up there's the dog on cue um to focus on like what you know there are things in our lives that are working like working well we all i bet we have something Even if it's just, I get up and I put the coffee maker on and I'm able to make myself a cup of coffee, right? Like simple things. And so focus on that. Like, why is it working? Why are you feeling flow? What what is it in your system, your habits, your routines, your structures that are supporting you and feeling grounded in your self-worth? If we could just get at that, that's a place to start, collect some data. Beautiful. Ah, well, S, this has been, you know, I mean, we finally I feel like we've had so many amazing conversations and we finally recorded one. of them. (laughs) So now it lives in perpetuity, which I absolutely am grateful for. And I think I mean, we have so much that we haven't unpacked. We need to go back to boundaries and feedback and accountability. We haven't talked at all about what it feels like to be raising kids and being with colleagues and talking about being in our self-worth and then going out in the world where there are systems that don't want us to feel like we're in our self-worth. Yeah. And I think it would be fun to talk to other educators, maybe leaders, um, you know, all those stakeholders that we mentioned in the beginning, sitting at your, at the bar, at at your place (laughs) where you bartended, inviting them in to talk about their impressions of self-worth and what that looks like. So this has been super fun. Thank you. I had so much fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, this has been another episode of Tell Me This. Um, we got to come up with a name for our series, S. Well, that'll be on the to-do list. We'll come up with a name, um, and I think S and I will be back at least for one more episode to dig a little bit more into this idea of self-worth, and I hope you'll join us. All right, everybody. Take So sincere the
1: your last year someday
0: say